the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Financial security will help you live the life you dream. Learn about financial power, the total financial hour. Now higher income strategy. Learn from Arab Halabi. Hey, welcome to the show. Thanks for being with me. This is the Total Financial Hour. I'm Arif Halaby. Glad to have you with me. Triple eight ninety nine retire. Give you the number out one more time. Eight 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 nine nine seven three eight four seven. Triple eight ninety nine retire. I always like giving out that number because uh, look, we found it. It's a cool number. You'll never forget it. Triple eight ninety nine retire. It's the best way to get a hold of us. Uh, sometimes you might want to just talk on the phone. You might say, "I just want to." phone appointment with Arif. Uh, we can do that. Zoom, right? The the video conferencing, we can do that. You can come into one of my offices. You always meet with me. It isn't a team of 10 people and uh, this back boiler room of, of folks. Uh, Jimmy, you're up. You're up. Got the front. It <laughs> doesn't work that way. It's always me. Uh, I have great staff. They help with paperwork. They help with behind the scenes. Uh, some of our, our appointment setting and on and on. They're good at their, their jobs. In fact, I, I would venture to say my staff is great at their job. Uh, my job is to deal with the concerns, the problems, the financial issues you have, and to help you resolve those. That's why TFS Financial Insurance Services, that's why we're here, is to see if we can make a difference. With some or part of your money, keeping it out of the risk part of the world, adding some of our wisdom, my wisdom, I don't know, I, it's kind of humbling to say that, but the, the 26, 27 years as a financial professional and, and another 10 years or so as an investor and a, and a stock option trader uh, off and on prior to that. So 10 years before that. And then, of course, through that process, uh, learning a lot over time and uh, sharing, learning, kind of growing together. That's what these shows are all about. Over 3,000 now radio shows. I can't wait till we get to 4,000. I can stop saying 3,000, but it takes a while to do three thousand to do another thousand shows. Uh, probably another three years or four years, we'll put another thousand under our belt, and I'll say somewhere in the neighborhood of four thousand. But here's the concerns. Part of what I'd like to do is to share with you the concerns that I start to see because I meet with around thirty people a week, something like that. Uh, Twenty-five to thirty-five people a week. Uh, some of our phone calls, of course. Some are in-person meetings. Uh, often over the last few weeks, we've had to work some Saturdays because we've been running some promotions or the companies that we work with rather have been running promotions. And, and it certainly has been a thing for people to try to get in and, and make those things happen, make open the new accounts. But, but here's what I'm saying. I want you to really understand the regular concerns of regular people. And I'll tell you what they are. It's the second and third marriages, specifically when the spouse has passed away. Now, a lot of you don't realize, uh, you know, we're still operating off of the old mindset. And, and in some cases, it's still accurate, but not as 
clear-cut, which is, the man will pass away first. Right? Husband and wife, man and wife, they, they are living, married, and one of them passes away. And it's often the man. But here's part of the reason that I want to kind of clarify some of these statistics. If you remember, the man would marry somebody much younger than him, right? He would be 26, 27. She would be 16, 18, 19, 22, whatever it might be. There was always an age gap, a substantial age gap. And for many years, the age gap, plus 10 or 12 years, depending on what statistics you looked at, usually about 12 years, that's how long the wife would live without the husband alive. So if there were seven years difference plus 12 years, that means she's going to live about 19 years without him. He'll pass away. She's going to live an additional 19 years, statistically speaking. That's a big number, you guys. That's a lot of years of filing taxes as single instead of married filing jointly. That means your income tax rates may nearly double when you're single, especially with the increase in in, uh, income taxes happening in, in 2026 unless Congress and the president act. We just have to wake up Joe Biden in order for him to act. Hey, psst, hey, buddy, wake up. Can you sign this? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, blue, uh, uh, vanilla, ice cream, ice cream. That might be what he will say. But whether or not he signs a bill that they put in front of him, certainly the Democrats will do it. But look, you can expect if the Republicans take over the House, I don't know if we're going to get decent Republicans. You know, we, we get a bunch of cowardly Republicans normally. Right. Oh, we're going to do they, they all talk. No action. It's like that skinny guy. Right. He, at the football game. Oh, me and my guys will get you. And then, he, you know, he's outside the bar all by himself and he, he doesn't. Oh, uh, ha, 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 ha. Hey, hey, never mind. Remember that stuff I said, guys? I know. Never mind. I was just just joking. Can't you take a joke? Yeah, that's like the Republicans when they actually get power. They go, oh, never mind. We didn't mean to. We hope we didn't hurt anybody's feelings. Did I offend you, by the way? Did I offend you? Because I don't want to offend you. If I am, I'm sorry, but I'm sorry about being sorry about offending you. But that's our Repu- that's our Republicans in Congress. So maybe they'll get there and sign a bill and and reduce taxes for for widows and widowers and single people. But but maybe not. Nonetheless, statistically speaking, at least in the past, she would live a lot longer than he does. Today, what I have seen, especially twice in this last this last week. Ready for this? A 77-year-old and an 81-year-old. Both men, both remarrying. Both have families, kids. I mean, think about it for a second. If you're 81 years old, you had children, right, in your early, early 20s. That means his kids are in their late 50s, early 60s. One of them is 61. That means he was 21 when he was born. He's not a kid. The 61-year-old has grandchildren, which means... The man who just got married, an 81-year-old, has great-grandchildren. You have to understand this. Those kids are saying, whoa, whoa, Dad. What about our inheritance? And of course, these guys aren't dumb. They're marrying younger ladies. And the ladies aren't dumb. They're marrying men that, that are financially secure. So some of the women are as old or even younger than their own children. And so the age-old concern, right, when, when a woman would die tragically and the kids were teenagers and, and there was a little bit of anger in the stepmom and she would do everything she could to try to solve things or maybe she would be, you know, the Cinderella evil stepmom or who knows what. 
Well, that, that's when they're teenagers. You understand. You don't, you don't have any wisdom. There's no experience. But now when you have 50 and 60-year-olds, 40s, 50s, 60s, and your dad is remarrying, how do you deal with that level of resentment? How do you deal with that insecurity? Because that's what it is, guys. That insecurity about your parent. So many of you. So I had another one. So that was three, uh, two folks. A third person came in and he was uh, 40. Just, uh, I want to say 39 or 40. And his dad is in his mid 70s. And his dad just remarried in the last couple of years to somebody in her 30s. So younger than the son. So I asked him, I said, hey, how's it going with your, your, your stepmom? And he doesn't call her stepmom because his mom died of cancer. His mom and dad were, uh, by all points of evidence, madly in love. And, and she died. And she fought a hard battle and she didn't make it. Well, he's still very strong and, and fit. So he married somebody that was 38 years old. 35 at the time, 38 now. And he's happy. So I asked the son, I, I said, so how did you feel about, your well, it was really tough at first. Uh, you know, we were concerned, uh, me and, and uh, he has some cousins, we were concerned that she was there just for the money, just for the rental properties. And my dad sat us down and laid it out and said, here's what she's going to get. She's going to get one house. Son, you get the other two houses. You get all of my money here. She gets this other account, little account over here. And she was fine. I don't need anything. You can keep everything, she said. I just want to be married to you. And he said, uh, you know, the father told me, he goes, listen, she wants kids. And she wants, or she says, I want kids or I want a, a, a dog. And I, so I said, well, well what do you decide? He goes, I love that dog. <laughs> means he got a dog. He says, I, I, I don't like dogs, but man, do I love this dog because he doesn't have to have kids anymore. But what he decided was, I'm, I'm going to talk about the elephant in the room, right? The thing that's sticking out for all to see, which is, oh, she's marrying me because of my money. You see, a lot of you are thinking about this as the mom remarrying, and sometimes they do. I want to talk about this from the kid's perspective. Hey, kids, right? Hey, 50, 60-year-old kids, 40s. Think about this for a minute. Your parents are lonely. You can't be there for them, and, and it's not fair for you or your spouse, especially your spouse, right, to, to have you go spend every day over there and, and entertain them and take them to the movies and out to dinner and sit on the, the patio with a glass of wine or, or a beer, whatever their favorite beverage is. That's not the way it's supposed to be. And a lot of you are thinking, oh, well, she wants to marry him for her money. You know what? It's not your money yet. So kids, it's not your business. I, I mean, I, I want to respect you. I, I care about you all because you're taking the time to listen and I appreciate that. I really do but it's not your business. You let your parents have a partner or a friend and let them remarry. If you haven't so, uh, look, this is it. This is the straight talk. I'm sorry if it, well, I'm not sorry if it hurt your feelings. I think maybe you need to have your feelings hurt a little bit. 
If you've mismanaged your own money your entire life, how much more are you going to disrespect your parents' money when you inherit it? Because you're the one that missed your daughter's dance recital, your son's baseball game, your wife's birthday party, whatever it is that you worked overtime, you worked your tail off, you provided honorably as it is. You did it all. You worked hard. I get it. But you didn't bother saving or investing or creating your own wealth because you looked in the mirror and said, don't worry, I won the lotto, the birth lotto, and uh, I was born to this guy and this lady and I'm going to inherit. Well, that's, that's kind of not cool, guys. It's not your money. You're not entitled to it. I had a man stand in my, in my conference room, no joke. I've only thrown out two people from my office. Uh, and this guy would have been number three. And he, and he stood up and he, he brought his mom in because he was a client, a relatively new client, brought his mom in. And he said, Arif, I want you to, I didn't know this. This isn't, I didn't know this was the reason they came in. And said, Arif, uh, uh, I want you to tell my mom that she needs to give me $50,000 in advance for my inheritance. And I said, why? Why? What's going on? He said, well, she has $700,000 and I want 50000 now. I go, but you don't even work. Well, I know, but I'm, I'm thinking about, well, this is my interpretation of his little him and Han. But I'm thinking about wanting to try to maybe think about and then eventually look at maybe kind of getting a job. <laughs> well, you're an able-bodied man in his 40s. Go get a job. It doesn't matter if you're picking up trash, if you're cleaning out Whatever it is, you work your way up and you go to night school, you take online classes, you watch YouTube videos. I'm not sure what you got to do. What are you good at? Figure something out. But if you're going to look in the mirror and think that you deserve a penny of your parents' money, and in this particular case, this guy was saying, my mom is still alive and she's right here. And I'll tell you what, Eric, if she does, and so he stands up and he starts raising his voice. If she doesn't give me $50,000 right now, I will never take care of her when she's old thought, whoa, dude, you need to be punched in the nose. This is, this is kind of a not a good thing, mister. What are you thinking? And his poor mom, scared and mortified, embarrassed to have given birth to such a selfish individual. Obviously, she's not surprised. She raised him. I, I met him, you know, what, a few hours in my, his, my entire life I knew him. She's known him for 50 years. 40 years, right? His whole life. So, so he's a son of a gun, obviously. But boy, was she, was she embarrassed. What right did he have to a penny of her money? Nothing. If he wants to create a business relationship, Mom, I'll be there Monday, Wednesday, Friday. I'll take care of you to do this. I want $20 an hour. Okay, that, that, they can agree to something like that. But she better sleep with one eye open. <laughs> she better, you know, watch her drink the entire time it's on the counter. Because this guy seems like, eh, something's wrong somewhere. By the way, does that drink taste sweet? I just want to know. Because if it does, mm, this could be one of those Lifetime movies. 20, 20, 60 minutes. Could be. Something. So, what do you do? What do you do if you're the child? Well, you have to remember this. There are some things to remember. Your parents are lonely. They are human beings. They have companionship needs, some sexual needs. Uh, what is this, a surprise to you? Is this eighth grade? We've got to start over. 
is there any kind of shock that older people, especially today with modern blue tablets, can do almost anything for a very long time? <laughs> right? They're, they're people. They're people before they ever knew who you were on this earth. So give them a break. They're lonely. And sometimes, especially the ladies, a lot of the ladies are, are very clandestine with their relationships with the new beau. They're meeting the man when the kids don't know about him. Or they have a daughter who's very supportive, but the son, oh, don't disrespect dad's memory, mom, by dating. I know it's been five years. So the daughter and the mom kind of keep it between themselves. And now the mom has to act like a teenager and feel like she's deceiving her child because she doesn't want to make Junior upset. So I want you guys to, well, Eric, you don't understand in our family. Listen, I understand more than you do, my friend. More than you do. People want companionship. They want to travel with the friend. Right? They want to travel. They want to have dinner. Maybe they, they don't have all of the same marital functions that they had at one point in their life, but they still want companionship. They want to care for something. I, I heard a quote recently, in fact, so much so that I shared it with my son because it just melted my heart. And it was this. When you care for something long enough, you begin to fall in love with it. You notice that? It's not saying the thing that you cared for now loves you. The saying was, when you care for something long enough, you begin to fall in love with it. That's the reason that, that these uh, you know, pre-planned marriages, right? these pre-arranged marriages, they're taught to care for each other, married by just knowing each other for a brief time and falling in love and staying married forever and being deeply connected. Right? It's the same reason that people will care for each other and then end up falling in love with each other and they were friends most of their life. They were just friends, companions. And then one day, they looked at each other and said, wow, I actually have feelings for you that's deeper than, than our friendship. So there are times like that in our parents' eyes. Now, I want to speak to you as a parent. Right as the 60, 70, 75, 80-year-old or 81-year-old, you have to understand that some of your kids never emotionally got over the death of their parent. To you, they were a spouse. I understand. Somebody you chose to fall in love with. Somebody you, you were close with nearly all of your adult life. But to your child, that's their parent. They were close to them all of their adult life. Not nearly, but all of their adult life. It's their mom. It's their dad. I think you owe one conversation with them. An honest conversation. And if they choose not to take it, that's their business. Right? We couldn't... The old adage, you can lead a horse to water, you can't make him drink. You can explain to your child about companionship and loneliness and your heart. And yet, they can still choose to be hard and and mean, angry, hurt. But kids, by the way, your feelings are kind of almost irrelevant. Not always, but just about almost. How you feel about your mom and dad being married, 
is almost none of their business. You shouldn't be telling your, well, mom and dad, here's my feelings about this. Who gives a rip? Nobody cares. It's, it's not your life. You go back to your wife, huh? You care about, oh, you're going to be, oh, yeah, yeah. Dad, this is what I think. Okay, so dad, you go home to that lonely house. You turn on the lights. Nothing's changed. It's, everything's exactly in the same place as you left it. Meanwhile, I have a house full of kids, grandkids that are little. I have my wife at home, my husband at home. So, uh, so I just finished lecturing you, dad, about my feelings, and I got to go because they're waiting for me for dinner. Oh, Dad, nobody's waiting for you for dinner, are they? So kids, knock it off. Have some compassion. Learn where to keep your mouth quiet. Because in the second half of the hour in a few minutes, I'm going to give you how to financially secure, depending on what you want to do, parent and child, how to still financially secure your children and still allow you to remarry. Because you see, I could, it's all one, it's all math. One plus one is two. You've heard me say this. One plus one is two. And son, you can feel like it's 27. You can feel like one plus one, uh, daughter, uh, sweetie. Uh, yeah, one plus one is still two, not four, not nine. So your feelings are irrelevant. And to the math thing here, I, I told you, you're not entitled to a penny. You didn't earn it, right? To earn it means you have to give up something for it. You have to give up your time. You have to give up your intellectual uh, capability. You had to give up your intellectual property as an author or a musician. You had to give up something in order to earn the money. What did you give up to earn an inheritance? Well, air if I gave up my parents. <laughs> no, you didn't. You didn't give them up willingly unless you did and you're listening to me from San Quentin. Then you gave them up willingly, right? <laughs> you didn't. You lost them. You didn't give them up because you would never do that. Not if you're a decent human being. You would never uh, give uh, hurt your parents or want to give up your parents. You lost them. So what did you give up to earn? You didn't earn but we can create a way for you to still receive something as a gift. We can still create a way for you to have some money added to your life and create wealth, what we call a transfer of wealth, right? The, the transfer of wealth from one generation to another, that's a respectable thing. I expect to, to transfer wealth to my children someday. I expect to... to, to now, listen, we're going to talk about that because... Sometimes you guys have kids that aren't respectable. Sometimes you have some children that aren't worthy. So I have some uh, a couple of letters. I think one of the letters today that I've chosen uh, is going to address that. So that's in our second hour. So stay tuned on our second hour of the show. It's a great show. I read your letters on the air, answer some questions, kind of get into some meat and potatoes. You guys are great. You're starting to add the ages. I love it. You're starting to add a bit more detail. I love it because it helps me kind of kind of tailor some ideas or some recommendations to it. But when it comes to, oh, the, the second marriages, the third marriages. Now, look, it's, it's not just 
in divorce. That happens. It often happens at a younger age, although we're seeing divorces happen at an older age now. But really where I want to address is when the second, when your, when your first spouse or the kid's parents at least has passed away. Because that is where we start to see these emotional writing off of the, uh, of the family and, and division and my kids, your kids, his kids. How do we separate that? All right. Grab your pen and paper, guys. Stay with me because we're going to continue in just a minute. Second hour of the show, let me make sure you have the, the phone number and my email. All right. My phone number. 888 retire That's 888-997-3847. 888-99-RETIRE. And send me your emails. I always read them on the second half uh, or the second uh, hour of the show. Arif at tfswealth.com. Stay with me. I'll read it again. Arif at tfswealth.com. I'm Arif Hallaby. This is the Total Financial Hour. Be right back. Learn about financial power, the total financial hour. Now Arif has a plan for me, higher income strategy. I'll retire comfortably, thanks to Arif Halaby. Now every dollar's got a job. Financial security will help you live the life you dream. Learn about financial power, the total financial hour. Now higher income strategy. Learn from Arif Halaby. All right, welcome back. Thanks for staying with me. I'm Arif Halaby, the total financial hour. Talking about your family's finances, getting out of debt, managing money, planning for the future, making sure that you are set. When you, uh, when you plan for your financial life, I want to share something with you. Uh, one of the gentlemen that, that, that uh, I spoke to this week on the phone, why, why this is such a serious topic uh, is because I saw this consistently over the past few years. But more importantly, I, I think you need to know about this, th- these options, because it might be you. You might be the kid. <laughs> I keep saying kid. You're 55, 65 years old. Uh, you might be the child, you might be the parent. So here are a couple of things, a few things that we have used in the past, and it's a way to protect the inheritance for the kids that are not your new spouse's children, all right? They're not the children of your you and your spouse. See if I can say that right. They are your children from your previous marriage. Follow me? All right, number one. There's something called a trust, a revocable living trust. All right, a revocable living trust means that it's revocable. It can, it can change. Now, if you have that in place while you both are alive, because nobody generally knows who's the first to, to pass away, then it will allow through what's called an AB, the letters A as an apple, B as in boy. All right, it allows, allows for an AB trust to be created 
and let me back up. You're going to check with your your uh, tax, sorry, your uh, attorney on this, right? Your your attorney is going to know the answers to this, not me. I don't want you to uh, take legal advice from me. I'm not an attorney, but you better figure this out. If you can have a revocable living trust in place, it can give you the ability to pass in uh, assets on to your the the kids the kids that you guys have together or the kids of your previous wife or husband without allowing this current new spouse to take the assets rental property the house the money whatever it is so there's a way to do it meeting with the attorney ask him ask him or her about an AB trust all right that's important but what about life insurance now here's something that we have used on a regular basis we have life insurance in place that is that, that goes when the father passes away or the mother, whoever the, the, your parent is, and the beneficiaries are the kids. So life insurance where the beneficiaries are the children, but guess who's going to pay it? That's right, the kids. You have three children and it's 300000 in life insurance. You want each child to receive 100000 Well, then they split the premium. One-third each. Why does that make a big difference in your life? Well, very simple. Because that is a tax-free transfer to those kids. They don't have to pay any tax on it. Unlike the retirement account. You want to leave the retirement account to your spouse, they get favorable tax treatment in the United States. Big deal. Favorable tax treatment in California. Big deal. Leave a retirement account to a child? Eh, Bad idea. Big taxes, potentially. But leave your children real estate or life insurance. And that is a tax-free transfer to those kids. So consider this. You have a large retirement account. Maybe you use money from that large retirement account to pay for that insurance premium. But that insurance policy, I want it to be owned by the children. So that the new wife can't come in and change things around. You see, if the policy is owned by the children, only the owner can change beneficiaries. So he or she can't come along and make any changes, especially when when the husband is in his 80s and on his deathbed or, or, or Alzheimer's or Parkinson's or just dementia or something, and she's still vibrant in her 50s or 60s or 70s. Well, well maybe... She starts moving assets around. Yes, we've heard it. We had a client who owned uh, $14 million in real estate. This is 15 years ago. $14 million in real estate, commercial property, vacant land, uh, residential property. Today, it's probably worth $35 million. Almost $2 million in cash and various uh, very nice pieces of, of jewelry, mostly Rolex watches and, and other gold. Well, the housekeeper now named his wife and her 19-year-old son basically changed the will while the guy is, is uh, recovering or recuperating from one of his many surgeries in bed and then ultimately he passes away. All of the property, all of the items, all of the real estate go to her and her son. And the man's kids from his previous marriage received nothing. 
In fact, I remember because one of the young men was a friend of mine, and he went to her and said, listen, I get it. You know, you, you took care of him, and you want everything, but Dad did promise me and my brother, each of us, one of the Rolexes. And there were two of them. Uh, can we have those? And she said, nope, those are my sons now. You get nothing. Well, folks, that's called normal. You don't think that's ever going to Oh, she would never do that. Oh, yes, she will. Because if he were alive and had all of his faculties, would he have uh, allowed that? Of course not. Would she have done it in front of him? Never. But everybody has different values, don't they? So you need to make sure. So I want you to use life insurance where the kids are the owner of it. Now, if if the, the estate can't afford to pay for it, or you don't trust that they're going to make these monthly payments, then here's what you do. You have the estate write one big check. There are policies out there where you can write one big check. The insurance company owns the money and they start dripping it in and they pay for it for you like an auto deposit. So the money is out of the estate. The kids are the owner of the insurance policy and they receive the benefit tax-free. I like that because it is... The one of the only items that you can transfer to the kids that, that most people have as an asset. And it's not in, uh, incumbent upon the amount of wealth that is in the family. Meaning, I, I want to transfer the house to the kids. Well, you shouldn't be doing that because what if that's the only asset available to care for yourself long-term, right? You mean you need some health insurance or long-term care? You might have to sell your rental property. But maybe you want to provide something to the kids. I like life insurance. Here's something else I think that's important. You can put all of this to rest with a prenuptial agreement. Prenuptial agreement. She receives this. He receives that. If you're married at least five years, this happens here. Ten years, this happens there. Right? There can be certain uh, criteria. In the wealthy, the very wealthy, the younger uh, generation, they do something very simple. They say, when I have, if I have this many children, this is the amount. If I have this many children, it's this amount. I've seen that uh, on prenuptial agreements. I've also seen it, it says that if we're married at least 10 years, then you receive this much. If we're married less than 10 years, you receive nothing. Unless I pass away within that period of time, right? So, so there are ways to, to manage a prenuptial agreement. Now, here's a very important part of a prenuptial agreement. Number one, each of you, yes, each of you, husband and wife, have your own separate attorneys. And each of you pay for your own separate attorneys from your own assets, not from joint assets. Okay, that's important because here's what you don't want to do. You don't want to use my money to pay for her lawyer I don't want my lawyer to pay for her prenuptial agreement. You want different people to be on both sides of the table that do not have a vested interest in any one person winning or doing better than the other. That will prevent it later on from being challenged or at least kind of put more, more cards on the side of the table of the right thing to do, the honest thing to do. So a prenuptial agreement, that's a great way to do it. How about this? If you have rental properties, and I saw this with one of our clients, uh, that he has a couple of rental properties and then he has a primary residence. And he says, son, daughter, he had two kids, 
both of you can each have one of these rental properties. It's, it's for you to have. It's a great thing. Each of you have one of these. You can sell it. You can cash it in after I die. Whatever you want to do with it, you can keep it and create cash flow if you want. You can move into it if you want. But, this, but the primary residence that my, my young wife and I are making, right, at our home, she's repainted, she's redid the shutters and on and on. This is hers if I die. And it was paid off. So she will have a home. She'll receive you know, my portion of Social Security. And he said she's going to also have one of these accounts. She's going to have a certain amount of money in there to, to pay taxes and pay bills and, and do things for the next many years. But by doing that and laying that out in a prenuptial agreement or in, in the living trust, in the revocable living trust, it kind of puts the minds at ease. All right? So that gives you a little bit of peace of mind there. But here's also something to consider. In the world of trusts, there is something called an irrevocable trust, meaning uh, I can't can't revoke it if I wanted to. It's irrevocable. It's done. It's put in stone. Done. Now, the irrevocable trust, you ready for this? It can be set up by the same lawyer that does the revocable trust. Yeah, lawyer, I, I, not a financial guy, not a person who does your taxes and washes your car and, oh, by the way, I do trust on the weekend. No, no, no. I want the lawyer that does trust. And I don't want a lawyer that does trust and car accidents and I chase you in an ambulance, right? Right. One of, one of my, my sister's friends is a lawyer and uh, he said, somebody once called me an ambulance chaser. I said, oh, really? He said, that's not true. I get there before the ambulance. <laughs> so... So I don't want that same guy doing your trust, working on, uh, y- you know, the workers' comp. And, oh, by the way, I'll handle your, your family's wealth. No, no, no. Remember, back to Arif's theory, experts. I want the experts. Who does trust every day? So have an irrevocable trust laid out where you can say these homes are part of that structure. Uh, they, they pass from parent to child. I give up certain benefits but I know they can never be taken by my dad's new wife's two kids from a previous marriage, right? None of that baloney. Nope. So consider an irrevocable trust. And I also like the idea of, of considering at least giving out some of these assets while you're still alive. You have a general idea of how much money you need. You know how much money you have. You know about what you think your each kid is going to receive. You know, take the amount that you think they're going to receive about, and then cut it in half. And there's a way to give that to give that to the kids now. So you can front load their inheritance, and by doing so, you get a chance to watch them enjoy it, to do the right things with it, to see if they're even even worthy of more money, or new money. You've heard me say before. If you guys think that life is just about accumulating assets, no, no, no. My job, my expertise, my role is to help you manage wealth when it comes to the income side of things, right? There are good people out there who are wealth managers whose job it is is to help you accumulate wealth. They're building your wealth, building, building. My job is to help you retain it. It's to make you, well, to keep you from being broke, Right? I'm not going to make you wealthy. I'm going to keep you from being broke. And then to live on a steady stream of income. Well, you know how much income you're going to need. You know if you're working with firms like ours, you're walking through that part of your life. 
And you might say, listen, I have $300,000. I have two children. I'm going to cut it in half. That's 150000 And I'm going to give them each half of that, 75 and 75. And if you do that, you get a chance to see what will they do with it. Do they want to pay off their home? Do they want to help buy a rental property? Do they want to pay off some debt? Right? Are they going to buy something, a vacation? What, are they, what would they do with it? Here's why it matters. Because you get a chance to see if they do the good things, the right things with the money. And if they do, you can say they're worthy of more. But part of you, and you guys know this, if you, whether or not you raised a, a, a narcissistic son of a gun, right? You know that. And by looking in the mirror and knowing whether or not you did that, you have a chance to say, yes, I'm going to give you more money or no, I'm not. And by the way, you have the right to do that. You have the right to say that, to, to look in the mirror and say, uh, listen, I tried. I raised my kids the best I could, but you know, one of them chose to go a different direction. Or one of them, uh, you've seen it. Good families, four kids, three of them turn out wonderful and one is, you know, in jail. And you go, well, wait a second. How, what did I do wrong? Why is it this one child decides to go off in another direction? So you don't hold yourself responsible for the financial failings of your children, especially today. Right? It didn't, it's not the same as it used to be. When you and I grew up, the only place to find information was at the dinner table or the public library. And if the public library was halfway decent, mine was not. So we had to go far away to go to a, a decent library, which meant we had to get in a car. Then you could learn about almost any other subject. And if your parents were worldly, if they were uh, wealthy, if they understood money or business or world politics or whatever it is that they understood, health, they would share that with you at the table, hopefully. I always say that, that people could talk about sex at the dinner table well before they ever talk about money. Right? Uh, can you imagine? Little five-year-old Jimmy comes up. Hi, Mr. Jones. That's a beautiful, beautiful briefcase. How much did you pay for that? Uh, Jimmy, uh, well, we don't ask those things. We don't talk about that. that. We don't ask that. That's not polite. Right? You know that. But you can be 15 years old and you can ask about sex at the dinner table and we're supposed to be open-minded. Let's talk about it. I'm glad you're sharing. But ask your dad how much money he makes. Oh, no, we don't talk about that. So is it any, any wonder that we've conditioned our kids to think money, bad, dirty? Right? Money, bad, dirty. All the same. And since my mom and dad are great people, and they don't have a lot of money, but the neighbor down the street, he has a lot of money, Ergo, right, back in my fractions, ergo, they must be a bad guy. So rich guy must be bad because he has money because my dad is good or my mom is good and they don't have money. How many of you think that way? So many people. Now, maybe not consciously, but subconsciously, you think about it all the time. So if your kids are built that way and you go, oh, crud, I made a mistake. Yeah, you probably did. And you know what? tough cookies because today he could have figured out how to fix that 10 minutes ago. So don't think that it's your fault anymore. I think today 
right? My kids try to blame me some. I remember years ago, they tried to blame me for something. I go, whoa, 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 whoa. You guys all have a cell phone. You all have Google. You can figure this out in a minute. You don't get to blame me anymore. I don't take responsibility for it. Well, Dad, you, I go, uh uh-uh, it's over. It's not my fault. I have now said it's not my fault. So guess what I will believe forever and ever? It's not my fault. (laughs) They go, well, then I go, you have the access to anything about anywhere, about anything at any time within seconds. Right? Hold on here just a second. Uh, Wait, uh. Uh, how do you build a nuclear reactor? Hold on. There it is. A nuclear re- uh, I just figured it out. Right? You guys can travel to Paris or the depths of of the Arbonne. And, and oh, oh, wait. Let's go to Thailand. Bangkok. Wait, wait. How do you say this in Thai, in, in Thai? Oh, wait. There you go. My little Google Translate says it in any language I want it to. I could be in the jungles of Saudi... Uh, uh, jungles. There's no jungles in Saudi Arabia. I was going to say the deserts of Saudi Arabia or the jungles of Brazil, and I could learn any language by just speaking into my device. So you guys used to think knowledge and power is over there, way over there. Some of it down the street, some of it behind those big brick buildings. Yeah, those brick walls, that's where the knowledge is. So for me, eh, I can't get in there because I can't afford it. I don't, I'm not that smart. Whatever you think your problem is, you can't get in there. Well, the playing field is level. That's it. Oh, but I don't know. Wait, hold on. Hold on. Here it is. How do I start a business? There it is. How do I build a company that... Oh, wait. You can ask anything. You can learn anything about anything, you guys. If you have that near-do-well 38-year-old or that 47-year-old, or like the gentleman that was in my office earlier today, or, or, or this week, 58-year-old, and he's still trying to figure out why he got laid off from his last job. And I said, do you think it's probably, because he, he shared with me what happened. I said, do you think it's probably because you called your boss stupid, and I won't use the word he used? He goes, well, yeah, but he is. I go, he could be a monkey for all I care. He could be Mickey Mouse in a dress. Guess what? You've chosen to be an employee. And you give up certain rights because you want certain guarantees. So you don't get to have those same rights and privileges of, of you know, walking down the street and thinking your, your opinion matters. You don't get to do that. Now, if it's your business, you'd say, tough cookies, everybody. This is the way I'm running my business. Well, that's great. People can choose to be your customers or not. People can choose to uh, work for you or not. You get to be the constant. But when you're an employee at a place... Guess what? You have to be the variable. You change to fit your employer, which means if he or she says you show up in a suit and tie, guess what? You show up in a suit and tie. If he says that you show up at 8 o'clock in the morning, guess what? You show up at 8 o'clock in the morning. You work on Saturday, Saturday. Your desk is next to Susie, who's a jerk. Yep, Susie, a jerk. Yep, you and her desk mates. It's the way it goes. But guess what? When you spend an extra 15 minutes talking to to Susie about your weekend, you got paid for that 15 minutes. When you arrived uh, from your lunch break and clocked in and then went straight to the restroom and and took your time in there for 20 minutes, guess what? You still got paid for that 20 minutes, didn't you? Yeah. That's the price you pay. You want the free stuff? You want to hang out at the lock, uh, talk about last night's game 
and the Emmys, the Grammy. Yeah, you can do that. And guess what? You don't get to control your pay. So yes, there's a give and take. If your kids go, yeah, but dad, I I got laid off again from Walmart. (laughs) Okay, then son, you better figure it out. The problem in the story is you. It's not anybody else. So do you want to give that person all of your inheritance? Do you think that that will help them become a better person, uh, a better human being, a better father, husband, mother? Uh, I, I don't know. Probably not. I think the problem in the story is your son or daughter has figured out what to do to just get by, and they are not entitled to one red penny of your money. Nothing. Nada. Zip. Zilch. That's German. <laughs> right? Now, you can give it, yeah, but I don't know. So listen, I have found, just like at the grocery store, when you see Junior stomping their foot in aisle three, you know, often the lack of parenting that takes them all the way to a teenager is often the level of guilt that a parent feels, whether it's a single parent, whether they left mom or dad, or whether they were the one that cheated on mom or dad, or whether they were the drunk, or whether they walked away from the drunk. There's often a level of guilt, whether she works 45 hours a week, sometimes 60, and she's only there to put him in bed and yell at him for not doing his homework, throw a squirt bottle on his hair and brush his hair and send him out the door. Maybe that's the only thing. Well, then there's a level of guilt. So you let them do whatever they want to do. And you've raised a bunch of brats. So you might want to figure that out. Maybe part of, Maybe it's not too late in the story to make the problem go away. Because the problem is you. And if you are somebody who is honest when you look in the mirror and you say, do I deserve the money that my parents have worked for, sacrificed for? Right? Just like you might think, well, uh, I was the one who was guilty or feel bad or feel guilty about my kids, so of course I should give them each equally the same amount of money. No, maybe you shouldn't. Maybe you shouldn't. Because all of us get to decide who we're going to be. And financially, guys, you could be nothing yesterday and a millionaire in five years. Yes, you can. Sometimes a lot faster. We're in America. Don't ever forget it. Stay with me for the second hour of the show. The total financial hour. Yep, two hours. Right here on your place for news, talk, and information. AM 870. The answer. I'm Eric Hallaby. Give me a call at 888-99-RETIRE, 888-99-RETIRE. Stay with me. I'll be right back. Financial security will help you live the life you dream. Learn about financial power, the total financial hour. Now higher income strategy. Learn from Arab Hallow. Hey, welcome to the show. Thanks for staying with me with the Total Financial Hour. Talking about your family's finances, of course, getting out of debt, managing money, and planning for the future. Look, we've always talked about uh, you guys sending in your emails. So let me give you that one more time. It's Arif 
at tfswealth.com. Arif, A-R-I-F, at tfswealth.com. Our goal is to really kind of sit down and and answer your questions. Sometimes I'll do it uh, just in person on, on if it's a bit more confusing or if it's a little bit long, uh, longer of an answer. And even, guys, if I have more questions, I'll call you back. Or I'll say, or I'll send you an email. I'll say, hey, give us a call and, and let's set up a time or, or here's a couple of times that maybe we can clarify because I want to get the answer right. And sometimes there's a lot of follow-up questions. And so I need to know what that is so that I, I keep you guys on track. All right. You've heard me share in the last hour some of the concerns I have when kids are not good with money and we want to leave them money. Remember, they're never going to respect the kind of money that you make or give them because they didn't earn it. They didn't give up anything for it, right? So uh, here's a, an email from uh, Marilyn and Adam. Uh, she wrote to us because she had a concern, and it's about something that we had covered a few weeks back, I don't know, maybe two months now. And so I think she was following up on that because she referenced it in, in the email. I also want to remind you, I kind of pare down some of these emails uh, enough so I can cover it without getting too uh, long-winded for you, but... Marilyn writes, she says, Dear Arif, my husband and I have three children. One has always been good with money and has his own house and even rental properties. I know he and his wife have retirement plans at work and they put in the maximum amount each year that they're allowed to. My daughter is newly married. That's her second child. My daughter is newly married and has a great career ahead of her. The career has a pension built into it, allows retirement plans, that her and her husband both said they are going to participate in when they're eligible. He has, uh, yeah, he has parents that, and plans to inherit money because he's the only child and the property that he's going to receive comes from his parents and his grandparents. He's the only uh, child and his dad is the only child. So basically this son and, 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 I'm taking a break here, cutting away. Her daughter and her new son-in-law are probably going to inherit a lot of money and real estate. They're the only child and grandchild, so we expect that to happen. All right, continuing. Both of them are respectful with money that they earn and allow for money uh, set aside for emergencies in their savings accounts. Another child, well, this is the third one. He's still trying to find his way. He happens to be the oldest and seems to always be short of money. Quote, she's short. He finally moved out for the second time at 34 years of age. We have three rental properties and about $2 million in retirement money and another $500,000 in investments and other money saved. Since we are working on our living trust, we need to complete the will portion. Now, taking a break. In a living trust, guys, there are many portions. One is the trust, uh, the, uh, the, the overall trust document. One of those portions is called the will, which is the distribution of property and assets. Another one of them, for example, is called the advanced directive or healthcare directive. The healthcare power of attorney. You might have heard of it as various forms. Basically, what it does is talks about what kind of medical treatment you would like to receive, Who's going to authorize if you can't to give that direction? When do they pull the plug? Where would you like to be buried? A lot of those things are contained inside of the trust, amongst other things. 
who can speak for you if you are still alive, who's going to be the successor trustee, the one that continues with the wishes that you have laid out in your trust. So what Marilyn is talking about is she is at the will portion of her trust, right? Who gets what, when, and how, okay? A trust is always broken into two sections, the person and the property or the stuff. You are the person, you and your spouse are the person. So there are documents that address that. Then there's the will portion that addresses the stuff. All right. Why this is important is, is because of the next, the next thing she lays out here. Since we're b- working on our living trust and we need to complete the will portion, should we leave money to each of them the same or equally? We want to be fair but we are worried that the oldest might never really get off the ground financially and really just wait for us to die. Do you think there is a way to separate uh, separate out separate out each inheritance and yet still make sure that they are treated as equally as possible? All right, so there's uh, I was kind of reading ahead because there's a couple of parts to this that are pretty important. Sounds like they're they're still young. If the oldest is thirty four, then the youngest, you know, they're, then the, then the other two are right in probably their mid to late twenties, early thirties. Which means if you add thirty years of age, the couple's probably in their sixties. They didn't put it down on this particular one. But here's something that a friend of mine did. I may have shared it with you years ago. I know some time ago I I was speaking about it to some friends, and I thought I I brought it to all of you. But but I think this is another time to bring it up. 25 years ago, my friend was broke, lived in a one-bedroom, one-bath apartment, had his two daughters that he received full and complete custody, physical custody. They were babies, right? Four and two, that's babies. Five and two, something like that. They had the bedroom. He slept in the living room. Today, fast forward, this friend is worth millions and millions of dollars. So much so, he could probably spend, I don't know, $500,000 a month for the rest of his life and never run out of money. All right? So he's got a lot of money. He's going to be fine. He has two kids, both daughters. One of them, very successful. She has, uh, her and her husband probably make a million dollars a year. They have rental properties, zero debt. They're good with their money. They have a business and on and on. Successful financially. The other one, up until recently was always trying a different career. Well, I'm going to be a cocktail waitress. Now I'm going to be an actress. I want to be a model. I'm going to be a secretary. I want to be a receptionist. I'm going to be a whatever. Good young person. Good kid. I I knew them both. I like them both. But financially speaking, one might have been making $250,000 a year. One might have been making maybe $25,000 a year. So here's what my friend said. He goes, listen, I'm not going to be the reason that my kids sit around and wait for me to die and get lazy. So what he did is he created a trust. Now, granted, of course, he has millions. You know, Marilyn may not, of course. She has millions, but but maybe you go, oh, he has more money than this. I just want you to get the concept, the creativity, the thinking. So what he does is he has an attorney, a trust company, manage his estate if he passes away. Each year, each one of the girls have an appointment before that uh, attorney and lay out how much they made the year before. 
They bring their 1099s, they bring their W-2s, and they show, Mr. Attorney, I made $50,000. Mr. Attorney writes a check, guess what? For $50,000. The next one comes in and says, oh, I made $500,000. Says, great. Here's $500,000. Are you treating each girl fair? Right? My favorite F word, right? Are you treating each girl fair or equally? No, you're not. Because their effort is not equal. Their effort is not equal. They all have a roof over their head. If one chooses to drop out and travel the world and spend their own, fine, then they receive nothing that year if they don't have any 1099s or W-2s. But the attorney's job is to match their effort. Whatever their effort is, my friend has, has made arrangements so the kids continue. To, to receive it. Will one of them receive much higher? Well, probably, at least as it stands now. Now, my friend's still alive. He's doing fine. And there's still time for, for the younger daughter to catch up and to get her, her feet underneath her, as, as you will, and create some wealth for herself. And maybe by that time, my friend will say, you know what? I'm going to remove that provision. And uh, they, they both have established themselves. So I think that is a great way to lay it out. But here's the concern I have, Marilyn. You and Adam have spent your life creating wealth. And, and you've built a lot of money. $2 million, $2.5 million altogether. That's, okay, it's not $20 million, but it's not 20 bucks. I think you've done very well. Should be honored and respected by everybody involved. The special needs trust. Now, special needs trust is something you can create. It's not just for autistic or special needs children or disabled people. A special needs trust could also be used for a child with a drug habit that's in and out of uh, uh, jail. Somebody who has financial issues that keeps getting sued or bankruptcy. A special needs trust allows the money to set aside and be owned by the trust, which is an irrevocable place. It's an irrevocable thing. The special needs trust, you can't change the rules inside of it. So the person who is the benefit beneficiary of that trust is entitled to receive whatever the trust lays out. For example, uh, let's say, uh, you know, here's the trust. I, if I'm the trustee, I can pay your rent. I can pay your car payment, your homeowner's insurance, your car insurance. I can pay for your electric bill. I can pay off a credit card up to 500 a month if you want to use it for groceries. So you see, whatever is laid out in the trust, now can Junior ever come and get the big chunk of money that's there? Nope. Let's say it's $500,000. Can Junior get it at all? Nope. Can't receive a penny. Except for those bills that are laid out ahead of time. Now at 34 years of age, he probably has some, uh, maybe it's mental health issues, maybe it's depression, clinical or otherwise. Certainly it's some self-worth, right? He sees his other younger siblings moving on, one having great financial success. In most cases, you're probably going to see that Junior, uh, this person, is going to have issues keeping money. Because when you are not self-worth, when you don't have self-worth, you tend to spend money or give it away because you get a temporary high. And that acts almost like a like a, a shot of dopamine in the brain. And that extra hit of dopamine when you're, quote, charitable is a very addicting thing. 
It's why one of my clients, when she passed away, before she did, I said, you can't give the same amount of money to this, to this one. The other two, fine, but this one, you shouldn't give the same amount of money. And she did. And he was a, still a drug user, lived with her. Well, he died. Uh, sorry, she died. And when, when she did, she passed away. She left $800,000 for each child. 800000 Well, the other two, they managed it properly. They did okay. They paid off their home. They did some other things. This third one, in nine and a half months, he was broke. Gone. All of it. He lives on the streets in the San Fernando Valley. Last we heard, I don't know. $900,000. Out the back door. Who knows what he did with it? Gave it away. Because just like drug addicts need to get that shot, that high, it's a similar feeling. So there's this opportunity for people that maybe aren't using drugs or alcohol or abusing them in any sort, but they still want that feeling. And if you have three rental properties, Marilyn, you and Adam have to decide well, first of all, you better make sure that those are in the in the trust, right? What I say by that, they need to be titled and held inside of the trust, meaning you have to do a quit claim deed for the county in which you live. The quit claim deed should be uh, neutral in the reassessment of taxes, meaning it should not occur because the owner of the property should be both of you as an individual or, or together as a, as a couple. And then the transfer of that property held inside of your trust should be a very simple process. You'll pay whatever court filing, uh, sorry, uh, county filing fees. But there shouldn't be a reassessment of taxes. And it prevents you from having to go through probate. Very important. The same thing with your $500,000 in investments, whatever your accounts those are in. You want the title to also be in the name of the trust. Okay, so it's going to be the, I'm going to call your last name Smith. It's not Smith. So if there's a Marilyn Smith out there, you, I'm not talking about you. So the Marilyn and Adam Smith Revocable Living Trust. And the date also matters, by the way. So just like you have a birth date, so does your trust. It has a birth date. So dated, you know, April 25th, 2022, whatever the date of your trust is. So Marilyn and Adam Smith Revocable Living Trust dated April 25th, 2022. That is the name of your trust forever until you change it. In other words, you cancel the trust or create a new one or replace it. So consider this as a process. It's not going to be easy. It takes a little bit of time, especially with three rental properties and your primary residence. So that's four properties that have to be titled in the name of the trust. Your attorney should do this for you. They'll probably charge you a couple hundred dollars, maybe more per property, by the way. If it's outside of the state of California, they might charge you even a little bit more than that because they have to contact this, the county. They have to pay the filing fees. There's going to be some extra costs. So just be aware of that heading in. What should the entire cost of a trust like this be? Well, let's, let's remove the special needs provision for the moment and just say it's a regular revocable living trust and you have four properties, three rentals plus the, the primary. You're probably looking at maybe $3,500, $4,500. If you're paying more than $5,000, and I mean by an expert, this person better be an expert, and you're still paying more than $4,500, $500, 
then please call me. We'll put you in touch with an amazing attorney who knows exactly what the heck he's doing. This guy is an expert beyond experts. This is all he does, but he understands there's also a reasonableness to the... the co- now, listen, attorneys aren't going to like this. Yeah, because some of them are charging six, seven, ten thousand $10,000. But here's what a lot of attorneys do, and I want you to watch out for this. They're not experts in it. This isn't what they do. So what do they do? They go out and they hire an attorney and they pay that attorney $4,000 or $3,000. They charge you six or seven or eight and they keep the difference. So I have seen some massive financial abuse for clients that have living trusts when it should cost a fraction of what these folks are paying. Now, it's part of the buyer beware. You could go out and spend a lot of money somewhere or less money somewhere and get the same idea, the same item. I just want you to pay attention to that. Okay, so this way you keep your eyes you know, forward and make sure you don't make a mistake. Now, if there's a special needs provision, if you choose to go that route, then you make sure that that expert, that attorney, has that as part of it. It shouldn't cost a whole lot more than that. Still, what I outlined should really be both should be that provision that's kind of built into it. Now, once it's enacted, right? If somebody passes away, if both of you pass away, and then the funding, the transfer of money into these different entities, okay, well, that attorney's gonna charge a fee because their expertise is, a, is at hand. But the management, the day-to-day management of a living trust is nothing different, except instead of you going in and opening an account or buying a car under your personal name, you're gonna buy it under the trust name. So you need to have a checking account established, so on the checks, it will say the Maryland and Adam Smith Revocable Living Trust dated April 25th, 2022. That's what it'll say on the top. So you'll open a bank account. You'll get your checks. You can cash your checks, deposit them. No change. Everything is the same. All right. Now, have that tough conversation with all of the kids. Maybe you want to have it just with the 34-year-old. And you say, son, we've given you the same opportunities. That Well, I just don't like school, mom. I know you dropped out after the first semester. Well, you know, I just don't do well in a structured environment. Okay. Right. So uh, you want to be a plumber? They make more money than most college degrees anyway, son. You get to control your own time. and, And yeah, it's tough work, but so what? You have time. Go do it. Electrician, air conditioning. That's your thing. Air conditioning, right? You want to be a teacher? Well, you got to go back to college. IT, school. But inside of that revocable living trust, you can create and build different rules that say, okay, guess what, 34-year-old son? You might be 54 years old by the time we die. When, If you are and you don't have a bachelor's degree, I'll tell you what I did for my kids. You guys are are my friends. You guys I talk to, we, we speak openly pretty Pretty openly, pretty regularly. So I'll tell you what I did. My kids knew early on that, well, first of all, college was never really an option. Not because I think they were going to be wealthier, happier, better people. In fact, in most cases, they come out, if you're not careful, uh, less loving of America and their parents. So we had to be very careful. But here's what, here, here were our rules. We homeschooled the kids. So at an early age in their teenage years, they were dual enrolled in our high school and college. So they were taking community college classes when they were 14, 15, 16, 17 years old. So they were getting dual credit, counting for high school credit and college credit. 
High school was being counted, ready for this, with an honors degree, like an AP course. So if they got a B at Spanish in, high, in, in community college, it counted as an A in their high school GPA. Because it was harder. Well, it's supposed to be harder. So the community college, my kids ended up with a, an associate's degree when many other kids were just barely graduating high school or even not, or even entering the 11th grade, my kids were getting. Well, I, I say that as if I had something to do with it. <laughs> my wife is, is way better at this than I am. I, I'm just the guy that goes to work. I always say I was the principal, right? I, that means I didn't do anything. My wife was the, the head, uh, headmaster of this place. She made it all work. And so as she did that, she made sure that when the kids were enrolled in college, they, they went to two or three years of college as they may have adjusted their major or, or took some more extracurricular activities. Right? Both my boys are Eagle Scouts. Yeah, that's not easy. All of them were involved in uh, Church Awana, which some of you might know what that is. It's a program where kids have Bible verse memory, uh, games that they play, and, and weekly they would meet. Learn biblical uh, student Christian citizenship. Important. They were on swim team and basketball and baseball. They they were involved with various uh, athletic team sports and individual sports. When they were swimming, swim team, they swam, you know, individually. But then they also went on and, and uh, were involved in ice skating and, and other individual and team sports. It's important you know this because people go, oh, homeschool kids sat in the corner with big glasses and didn't do anything with their long skirts. Nope. Not our kids. So why do I share that with you? Because I want you to know that the expectations that we set out early was that they were always going to go to college. That wasn't even a thing. And when they were halfway through, they, they knew and they understood that if they didn't have a bachelor's degree by the age of 25, then... They weren't going to receive any money. The inheritance was over. I don't mind. It didn't matter to me what they earned their degree in. Could have been anything. Now, why did I care? Because I wanted them to start something, muddle through it, struggle, cry, get mad, and finish it anyway. And for most people, because my two boys did that in their teenage years, as an Eagle Scout, one at 17, one at, eight, uh, one at 16, one at 17 years old, and my daughter was part of the Ranger Club, right? She did it, which was a co-ed scouting thing back then. Yeah, they've had that for decades. But they needed to do that academically. And that is what the education part was. Now, they can work in any field in which they want. They know that they can go to any search engine and find out anything about anything way better than going through some sort of textbook. So if your son or daughter is in their 20s, 30s, or 40s, and they haven't figured that out by now, folks, I'm going to tell you, there's probably not a lot of hope academically for them. So maybe you have to put what motivates them. Maybe you have to put financial handcuffs on them. Say, guys, listen, you can go out. If you are homeless, if you are on the streets for more than six months, you call me and you have a place to live. <laughs> not Not 15 minutes after you get kicked out of your wherever house you're living. No, no, no. You have to struggle, kids. So if that is the issue, right, If then maybe it's financial handcuffs. Maybe it's that straitjacket time. You have to decide. Uh, stay with me. I've got another amazing email that I think is pretty important, and you're going to be shocked 
when I cover it here in just a minute. I'm Eric Hallaby. The total financial hour, 888 retire That's 888-997-3847. Or email me at Arif at TFSWealth.com. Stay with me. We'll be right back. About financial power, the total financial hour. Now Arif has a plan for me, higher income strategy. I'll retire comfortably. Financial security will help you live the life you dream. Learn about financial power, the total financial hour. Now higher income strategy, learn from Arab. Hey, welcome back. Welcome to the show. Thanks for staying with me, guys. I'm Arab Halaby. Uh, we're going to finish this hour of the program with an amazing letter. I think it's pretty important because there's so many of you that have come across my, my uh, office with this same issue. All right, stay tuned because I'm going to fill it in just a second. I'm going to give you the email. It's arif at tfswealth.com, arif at tfswealth.com. All right, pretty important you have that. If you have a question, send it to me. Please remember to put your ages, put your name and your age. Most of you always put your name, but your age is pretty important because part of uh, the solution is kind of dictated about your age, right? If you're in your 50s or your 60s or 70s, uh, there's some solutions that might work for you that may not work for somebody a little older or a little younger. My number here, 888-99-RETIRE, 888-997-3847. You can reach out to us uh, every week, all the time. We're here for you. Uh, if we don't answer the phone, of course, just leave a message or pick it up. We are sometimes on the weekend, of course, we're not always in the office full-time. And, of course, uh, during our show, we... we uh, can't answer the phone all right so big big thing for you ready for this you need to ask yourself am i in this position this is from jack and christine so jack writes us my wife and i have saved enough money and know that we will enough money to know that we will never use all of it we want to give it to our kids or at least some of it while we're still alive to watch them enjoy it we're not sure from which account to give it to them should it come from our iras should we sell one of our rental properties or should it just be from our savings accounts or mutual funds? We're not sure if there's a limit on how much we can give and uh, each of them each year. My wife and I are both 67 and have been retired for about five years. We know that our li- what our lifestyles cost and we know what it takes to live the way we want to live and we're confident we have more than enough money to meet that need. We both have long-term care insurance we both have life insurance and we both have uh, and we owe no money on our current home. Okay. Simple question. Now you say, well, I thought this was such a dramatic question. It is. Because just like they might say they have enough money, you always ask yourself, how much is enough? 
right? They didn't even put in how much money they have, how much is enough. But they think they have enough, and they probably do. Because they're smart enough to ask that question, they probably do. They mentioned life insurance. They mentioned the idea of having their home paid off. They mentioned having income that is more than enough than they spend each month. All right. So what is the big concern? Well, here's what I have as a concern. There's two big concerns. I'm going to go through that. One is if you want to transfer money from you to somebody else, you want to give it to them. You're only, this is the legal part, you know, whatever else you do between uh, these numbers and and something else is up to you and your God. But the IRS says $15,000 a year from social security number to social security number. So I'm allowed to gift, it's called a gift, I'm allowed to gift $15,000 a year from my social security number to my son's social security number. I can give 15000 from my social security number to my daughter-in-law. My wife can do the same. So how much is that all together? Leaving from us as a couple to them as a couple. That is $60,000 per year. So I can give away $60,000 per year forever without triggering a gift tax, at least under the current law. Now, when I pass away, there's a $1 million exclusion that I can gift away immediately without paying any other gift tax. So if I've given away $15,000 a year times, right? That's not just 15. I just gave you an example how one year it's actually six zero. Now add some grandchildren. I don't have any grandchildren yet, but if, if they had two grandchildren, that's another 15. Another, so in other words, that's another hundred total of $120,000 from one family to another. So there is a way to navigate through this process, right? Remember, who writes the rules, rich or poor people? Think about that. It's always rich people that write the rules, but they always have. The reason that you can go to a room of 20 people, randomly chosen, and you're going to see at least five, maybe 10 different cultures represented when you go back three or four, or maybe sometimes two generations. The reason is because although the rules have been written by rich people throughout history, from Cleopatra to Napoleon to Fidel Castro to, to Amelda Marcos and her husband, Fernand, right? these people have always written the rules to benefit themselves, their friends, and their family, including the United States, except, and here's the reason that room is full, because the rules apply to everybody here. You just have to figure it out. If you figure it out, you win. If you don't figure it out, you lose. That's why we would spend money to send our kids to college because that's where the rules were. They were over there. Not here. Here's the factory or the field or my little record store or my little shoe shop, whatever. That's over here. Over there, boy, that's the knowledge. So people would take their life savings, refinance their house, cash in their retirement account in order to send one child to college. That's what people would do. But today, knowledge is free. It comes to you for free. And if you are illegal here, you get a free phone. So you want to thank President Biden. President Obama started it, right? You saw the Obama phone lady, the, the free phone lady. Right? She's, yeah, I got my free Obama phone. Well, now you, you don't, you're not even required to be here legally and you get a free phone. So you can go to free Wi-Fi with a free phone and you might go, oh, it's not free. Well, it is to that person. 
Because husband, wife, and two kids illegally here in the United States, and it's tens and tens of thousands of dollars per year that the state of California gives illegal immigrants. Including now, I guess, a free phone, according to Jen Psaki. She really thinks those guys aren't going to sell it. Right? What, what do you think? Is that the way that the government... Watch the, the show. Uh, was it Tom, uh, Tom Hanks? Called The Circle? Right? Where they, they put this little thing on your phone. It's basically, I think, to mirror Facebook. And, and it talks about how they're going to find out everything about you. They sell it. They track you. And they give you something for free so that you'll put this free tracking device on your phone. And that's what they do. They follow you everywhere. Important you realize this because I think there's a chance. Yep, I think there's a chance that you might need this money. So how much can you give away? Eh, you can give away 15000 Should it come from your IRAs? Well, here's the key, guys. IRAs or retirement money is not a gifting mechanism. The government gives you all of these goodies, all of these benefits for retirement accounts, IRAs, which is an individual retirement account, for a 401k, which means you work for a for-profit company. If you work for a hospital or a school district or a nonprofit or a research facility, yours is called a 403b, also known as a TSA, tax-sheltered annuity. Those two, those types of accounts, and if you work for the federal government, like the post office or JPL, yours is called a thrift savings plan. All of those are retirement accounts that have all the goodies, all these little extra benefits, as long as you take money out in a systematic way to replace the income that yesterday you were working, you had a job, now you don't, so what do you not have anymore? You still have time, you still spend money, you still have bills, you still have expenses, but you don't have an income. So the IRA, the retirement accounts are designed to replace the income. Now, if you use it incorrectly, you will get spanked financially. Penalties and fees and fines. Right? You wouldn't go to your job, your boss, and say, uh, Hey, boss, I've been here now five years. Yes, yes, Eric, uh, very proud of you. Thank you for being here five years. Hard work. Uh, boss, listen, so I expect to be here the next five years. So here's what my proposal is. I want to take the next five years of my income, and I would like to get one big check. Can you give me one big lump sum? Can you give me that big check? I'm going to be here for five years, so don't worry about me. But I want my money now. Can you do that? What would your boss do besides throw the, the clipboard at your head? Right? He's going to say, get out of here. You've been drinking again. Go back to work. But you do that with your IRAs. Uh, hi, yes, IRA company. Yeah, I need $50,000 right now. Why? Because I need to buy an RV or 150 or 250. I spoke this week to a client. Eric, if I have uh, $3 million in my retirement account, uh, I, what if I want to buy a, a vacation home? Well, that's fine, but you're not going to use this money. Well, why? Because you'll pay twice for it. It's a $500,000 vacation home in a beautiful place. But you don't take out five hundred. You have to take out a million. And you give... 500000 to the state and federal government in taxes, and you get your other five hundred after tax money. Because remember, you just jumped to the 55 60% tax bracket. So you have to pull out a million. So the house costs a million dollars, not 500000 All because you think you wanted to pay off 
the house in cash. Well, that's fine, but you don't have cash. You have an IRA. And retirement income is what the job is for money that comes from IRAs and 401ks. Right? If rich people make the rules, then you just follow where the rules lead you. That's it. And the rules say, take out the money in a systematic way and take it out in a way in which you never really pass the next tax bracket. Eh, you can live wonderfully. Oh, like one of our clients, you heard me talk about her once before. I love her. She's a great lady. She's a nurse, retired. Her brother needed money from a, for his home because he lost his home in one of the, the storms. She said, I want to give him $50,000. I said, you don't have 50. She goes, Air, if I have 750. Oh, yeah, but, but you really don't have 750 because part of that is the government's money. You might have maybe mm, 400,000. So you want to take out $50,000, you're going to have to take out about 750. Uh, sorry, about 75,000. So out of $75,000, that's 10%. That means your retirement account is going to drop 10%. And for the rest of your life, your income is going to be less 10%. Because you want to use money that has no business being used for a down payment on a house in a way in which the government says it is not to be used. All right, so what do you do? Well, here's what she has. Here's what they have. They actually have other investment money. And that's where it should be from. It should be from your mutual funds or your savings accounts. Those are the kinds of funds that you can gift. And you can easily say, look, uh, we want to see you enjoy this money, kids. So I'm going to give you a portion of it. And by giving you a portion of this money, I want to see what you're going to do with it. So here's what I would do. Ready, Jack? I would like you to have each one of the kids give you what's called a business plan. Yep. Each of them are to come to you and say what they need the money for and how they would spend it. Now, I had a, a friend of mine recently, her and her husband, very success, uh, wealthy and successful. Uh, when her kids were younger, she was a single mom. So if you listened to the show earlier, what did I say? The guilt. Love them. But you can see that guilt. She raised the kids on her own. Did an amazing job, actually. They are amazing people. Not just great kids for her, but amazing people to society. So, did she sacrifice and do the right thing when things were tough? Yes, she did. Very difficult. But, now she's remarried. Been married for, for many decades now. Her kids are older, are successful in their own right. She says, Arif, now that we have enough money, I want to give each one of them $100,000. Okay. Here's what I would do. Same thing. Each of you tell me. Now, I want it to be written down because it's more real when it's written. Because people can say things. They can kind of sort of mean things but really mean something else. But when it's written down, it's pretty well, what's the right word? Kind of in stone, as they say. So I want you to have some of it written down. Tell them to lay it out for you. What would you do with the money? Give me uh, basically like homework. Well, we want to buy this. Why? Because of this, this, and this. You can come back and with rebuttal questions, you can ask them about it. Now, sometimes 
It's often one of one one of the parents. I'm going to say usually the wife, but in my case, it would probably be me because I'm the I, I think more the emotional one in the in the relationship between my wife and my kids, right with my kids. But often it's the lady, and she'll say, "Oh, but just give it to them. Just let them do their thing. We love them." We know they're going to be good people. They're going to do good things. I know it's not them I'm worried about. You didn't raise their spouse. You raised them. So you know them, but you don't know the deep, dark demons behind the scenes, financially speaking, of the spouse, do you? So you ask them to to do some work on it. Then what I would do is lay out a plan that says, okay, so that's $50,000. Me and your mom, we can give you 60, so we're going to give you 50, no problem. But then, Jack, I want you to figure out a way to say, if you guys do this, X, Y, Z, we'll give you a little bit more money. I'll share with you something that we do with our kids every year. We've been blessed to be able to do this for the last few years. We come to our kids each and every year towards the end of the year, and we say, me and mom have X amount of dollars extra to give away. We, we like to donate each year. We want to give away a little extra. Each of you kids can select a charity that means something to you. You have to think about it. I want you to print out something. I want you to discuss it. I want you to tell me about it. I want to ask you questions about it. Not just pick a charity out of the air. No, no, no. So you pick a charity that me and mom will donate X amount of dollars to. I want to know about it. I want to know why. And I want to know what it does. And I want you to be prepared to answer some questions. Maybe a lot of questions, maybe no questions. So every year towards the end of the year, the kids do that. I can tell you as they now are are becoming established young people and laying out the foundation. Generosity is not something that you turn on when you have, uh, you know, a million dollars or a hundred thousand dollars. No, no, generosity, that's why God says tithe. Tithe means 10%. It's 10, one-tenth, right? Uh, what God says on, on chapter, uh, was it chapter nine where it says, uh, give 10% tithe once you have a million dollars. Does it say that there? Uh, I don't think so. It says tithe. It says give. So you give a little bit when you have a little bit. You give a lot when you have a lot. So by teaching your kids generosity when they're young, one of the things that you can do, which is what my wife and I are are looking at doing, is to match it. Okay, kids, you guys tithe. You do what you can do. Me and mom are blessed this quarter, this year, this month, this year, whatever it is, we're going to give an extra. We're going to, how much did you give? Oh, a thousand. We're going to give a thousand. Oh, you gave two thousand. We'll give two thousand. Right, because we can. I'd prefer to give it to a a well organized, well meaning charity that makes a difference, that's well managed, than a spoiled brat kid who has all of their faculties, the ability, the strength, the support to go out and make all sorts of money. Right, so so there are places like that that would accept your funds. In other words, decent, honorable charities. But if you still think, Jack and Christine, you want to give it to your kids, I'm going to tell you, consider giving them real estate after you pass away. I don't want you to put their names on it until after they die, after you die because they receive what's called a step-up in basis. That means if you bought the property for 150000 and when you guys pass away, it's now worth a million, then the kids now own it as if they got they, they paid a million dollars for it. So they sell it for a million one hundred thousand. Guess what they only have to pay taxes on? A hundred thousand. 
all of that money from the $100,000-plus that you bought it for, all tax-free. Now, does that work that way with your IRA? Nope. So I want the IRA to be given to spouse, husband, wife, when each of you pass away. After both of you pass away, I want it to go to charity. I want the kids to receive life insurance. I want the kids to receive IRAs. The kids can even receive some of the mutual funds if it's not in part of an IRA or retirement account. right? I, I, I want the kids to receive life insurance and real estate, rather. Spouse to receive IRAs. The charity? I want the charity to receive the IRA. I want the nonprofit to receive your 401k. I want somebody else that has a tax deduction, right? Can I be more clear? The kids shouldn't receive any of your retirement money. You should spend it till zero. Because that's the way the rules are written, right? Rich people write the rules. So they said, uh, real estate, that can go from parent to child, tax-free. Okay. You want to fight it? Give your kids your IRA. <laughs> oh, you're, you won. Your kids paid half of it in taxes. Or do you just play along because you're playing the game anyway? This is like one of those news flashes. Right? A little siren goes off. News flash, news flash. Uh, if you play the game with the same set of rules, you get to, get to, to the same goodies. Right? And the goodies are tax-free transfer to your grandchildren and to you and to your kids. Okay? Why does this make a big difference in your life? Because then you have the freedom, the peace of mind to spend that retirement account to zero. I want you to have that retirement account in a place that gives you lifetime guaranteed income because you're supposed to use it for income. That's why we use fixed and fixed indexed annuities. We don't try to squeeze a square peg into a round hole. What we do is we look at the product, IRA, we find the solution, guaranteed income, and then we find the vehicle that gives us that guaranteed income portion. Right? That's a huge change because it really allows you that freedom to go and walk through life and say, I'm no longer in the middle of paying taxes on money that is going to sit around and wait. Instead, I have money that's going to my children specifically for something that's life-changing. And you ready for that? It's a steady stream of assets that are tax-free. Now, look, they can change the rules. They do. Laws change. Rules change. That's why you stay in touch with your financial team, with your attorneys, your CPAs, your financial professionals, us. No one of those. Sometimes folks come and they go, Eric, my CPA is also my financial advisor. I'm like, are you kidding? Which one do they do well? Well, they do both. No, no, no. They can only do one great because those are two separate tasks and you cannot focus on one six months out of the year and one six months out of the year. You're either great at one or great at the other. Or in most cases, if you think you can be a CPA and a financial advisor, you're probably so-so at both. Now, maybe for you, so-so is good enough. And if it is, great. But you wouldn't go to a plumber and say, while you're at it, can you fix my transmission? The car's in the driveway. You wouldn't do that. You go, oh, air if it's another. Those are, it's the same thing. Those are night and day. They're different tasks. Well, no, both of them use a wrench. Yeah, they both use, and a screwdriver. Wrench and a screwdriver. 
Well, okay, well then, I guess they must be the same. Silly me. Why don't you guys have in your portfolio the ability to have experts in each one of those fields? Then your skill set, ready for this? Your skill set is a function of your judgment of people's personality and the judgment of the character of other people. That is what you need to have. When you have the judgment of the character of the person that is the expert in the field, you don't have to know all the details because the, uh, look, I know when I start a car, and today it's any vehicle, you can have a Kia or a Mercedes or, or Cadillac, Lexus, Hyundai, it doesn't matter. I know all the cars have at least the quality of me getting in it, pushing a button and driving across country and just filling it with gas. Every vehicle is that good nowadays. Right? I, I don't have to say, oh, well, let me check and see. Did the engineers get a good night's rest before you put the final screw in my, in my uh, engine? Or, 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 or let me see, uh, the guy that refined the gas, how was he feeling? Did uh, I better check and make sure that, of course not, you guys. You get in the car, you push the button or turn the key, and you drive. So your skill set is in driving the vehicle. You trust that Kia or Mercedes or Lexus, that they built the car properly. That is where your skill set comes in. You trust and respect the professional, use your character judgment, and then you let them go to work and work for you. You double check, you check in on them, you make sure they're doing the right thing. If we could be part of that team, it would be my honor. My name is Eric Hallaby, the Total Financial Hour, 888-99-RETIRE. That's 888-99-RETIRE. You have a blessed day. We'll see you next time. Learn from Arif Halaby. Learn about financial power, the total financial hour. Now Arif has a plan for me, higher income strategy. I'll retire come to... Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.